This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of us um, as Christians have ever been a little bit scared, maybe a lot scared? that God might ask us to do something that we did not feel we were either worthy to do or unqualified to do when we were just hoping and praying that God would not reach down and tap me on the shoulder. You ever felt that way? If you're honest, we probably all have. Now, what some of us do is we just turn him off. I'm not going to listen. But some of us listen and then we wonder God are you sure you're talking to the right person are you sure you're calling me to this ministry are you sure I can imagine when when as Don and Mary were sharing last week and God called them to go uh, and be full-time missionaries and this wasn't something I mean they weren't wasn't like they were kids at camp youth camp and they got all emotional and said yes Lord wherever you um You know, where you lead me, I will follow. What you feed me, I will swallow. It wasn't like they made that kind of a commitment. Young in life, they were already their parents, career. And yet God said, no, I need you to leave the comforts of home and go somewhere to a culture where you've never... And and some of us are really, really scared. I remember when I was a teenager, it was common for us, uh, you know, as, as guys... You know, the thought was, and maybe some of you can relate to this too, you know, you're a teenage boy and you go to youth camp or whatever it is, and your youth pastor is teaching on being surrendered to God, giving to God your whole life, and being willing to go wherever. Uh, what, what did Don say last week? Anytime, anywhere, anything. And uh, we always thought, if God calls me to be a missionary, he's going to bring me a wife that's probably the ugliest woman on the face of the earth, you know? And uh, so we're worried about all kinds of things, and we're scared of what God might call us to do. And that's exactly the opposite of what our heart ought to be. We ought to be willing to say, wherever, whenever, whatever, God, you want me to do, I'll do. Now, let me, uh, we're going to be today in Judges chapter 6. So if you'll turn uh, in your Bible there. Judges 6, page 218, if you're using the Bibles that are in the chairs, uh, please, I would love for you to have a Bible open because we are going to read a lot. And and I'm going to repeat what I said at the very beginning in this series, especially here we are just uh, not too long, less than two weeks after our our election. Uh, I think this needs repeating. I said this at the beginning, let me say it again, that so many things have happened since the election and so many people, and I read these things and I just, I've been clicking and and deleting and hiding and and unfollowing so many folks on Facebook lately because the stuff they post, and I said, that's just wrong. And I mean well-meaning Christian people will say, well, now we know whose side God is on. Um. Let me repeat what I said early on. America is not Israel. As we look at these stories and judges, if we say, this is the United States, I want to tell you, no, it's not. If there's any application between what happens between God and Israel, the application today is between God and you and I who are Christians, God and the church. And it's really really easy to put off all the sin and all the things they're doing on the United States, but really it's on the church if God's speaking to us. Today. So let's be careful, careful about transposing Scripture 
about Israel on the United States. God doesn't, God never has looked down on America and said, I think this time I'll be a Republican. And that's how some people really think. Um, that, that's not how it works. God's not looking for a side to join. God's looking for you and me to join him. All right? Remember that. Don't forget that we are not Old Testament Israel reincarnated. It's the church if we're going to apply these scriptures. It's us. So yes, as the church, we're the ones who know the church, the truth. We're the ones who have believed God's word, and yet we tend. I love the old song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Remember singing that? We, we tend to wander away as believers in Jesus Christ. And here in America right now, we are the church Christians, the ones that are in need of revival and repentance, we're the ones who are supposed to be examples to the world of the love and the grace and the power of the gospel. And we're the ones, however, seems to be the ones who slide into worldly living and slide away from holiness. And, and I believe when we look at Israel, as we are in the book of Judges, in many cases, we ought to see church, our Nags Head Church, let's bring it closer, Next, said, church, we ought to see ourselves and, and as Christians in whatever country we live. Chapter 5 of Judges ends with this little simple sentence. Look what it says. And the land was peaceful 40 years. After the, after the era of Deborah, remember we were Deborah a couple of weeks ago, and Barak and, and the war and how that, the guy with the tent spiked through his, remember he said, and all, remember that story. After they came on the scene and overtook Israel's enemies and, and, and uh, Israel was peaceful for 40 years. And then look at verse 1 of chapter 6. The Israelites, after these 40 years, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian. Midian's one of the other kingdoms in the land, the pagan kingdoms, handed them over to Midian for seven years. Seven years of oppression. And it makes me ask the question as we go through, and this is, this is the pattern. Remember I told you, here's the pattern in Judges. And this is the pattern, and it makes me ask the question, how is it that the people of God can be delivered, can be revived, can live in peace as a nation for 40 years, only to backslide back into rebellion and idolatry. And, and I think one of the answers is that happens to us and it happened to them when we become content with what we have. We become content. We take what God has done for us for granted. We, we as Christians, and they did as Israelites, the people of God, we go into cruise control, automatic pilot. The offerings are sufficient to meet the budget. The preacher isn't stirring up any trouble these days. The offerings, the, the, the chairs are comfy. And we know, before we know it, we, we can remember, we can't remember, I guess is really what I want to say. We can't remember the last time God did something supernatural among us. It's been a long time since there's been any radical moving of his spirit among us. As a lady I heard in this church, 30, about 30 years ago in a meeting I was sitting in, about eight or nine people in Nags Head Baptist Church and looked around and she said, I like it just the way it is. How can that be? How can that be? 
The way they got to these times of peace after times of oppression and judges was simply, as we've read now, over and over, God intervened. And he intervened because they did what? They cried out to God. Over and over we've read that. They cried out to God for him to do something. There was a cost. It's all about, by the way, it's all about dependence on God. It's all about holiness. It's all about repentance. It's all about obedience to him. Look with me at verse 2. And they handed, and they oppressed Israel, the Midianites. They oppressed Israel because of Midian. The Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Because of this oppressing nation, they ran and hid wherever they could hide. Mountains, caves, crevices, wherever they could find places to hide, they left their homes and hid from the Midianites. Why? Well, whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the Kedemites, the people from the south, they came and attacked them. And they encamped. So every time there was crops, every time it was harvest time, they're gathering their crops. These people showed up and stole everything from them, robbed them, you know, blind, robbed them clean of everything they had, not just their crops, but their livestock as well. They encamped against them, destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came in with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts, devouring everything. And their camels, and they and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to waste it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. There they go again. There's seven years now they're being oppressed by these people. Now, here's the interesting thing about the Midianites. Back in the book of Numbers, chapter 31, tells the story of the nation of Israel. Before they enter the promised land, they face the Midianites. The Midianites say, you're not coming this far. You're not going to pass us. And Israel said, watch. And God came and helped them. And, and the Israelites totally decimated the people of Midian. Wipe them clean, wipe them out. But now it's, it's a couple hundred years later and they've recovered as a people. And now God is going to use these people that Israel had once defeated. Let me say that again. God is going to use these people that Israel had once defeated, that had, they had once overcome. God's going to bring them back in order to discipline his people Israel for their sin. The Amalekites who came with them were the descendants of Esau. And if you know the story about Esau and his brother Jacob, you know how they were enemies, by the way, and still are today. Why do the Arabs hate the nation of Israel? It's because of Esau and Jacob. Never changed. The Ketamites are the people of the east, meaning they were Arabians, and they were like, the story says, they were like a great swarm of locusts. They're, they're camels, and this was a new form of military strategy, using camels. We're without number. And because of Israel's disobedience to God, they had to hide in caves and crevices during the harvest, afraid of this once conquered army. Here's your notes, point number one for you, is when we turn from the Lord, we usually fall into old habits. When we as believers turn away from God, 
get our sights on other things than Christ in our lives, make him less than number one in our lives, allow other priorities to take place of Jesus first in our lives, we tend to fall back into the very things that God saved us from. The same old habits. The very things that he saved us from and gave us the power to overcome, and as we just sang, the grace. We tend to come, let those things come back into our lives and defeat us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Man, why did I do that again? So easily ensnares us. And that sin, whatever that, what is that sin, Rick? It's like people ask all the time, Pastor, what is the unpardonable sin? You know, and all kinds of debate about that. And my, my answer is simply failing to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the only thing God cannot forgive. All right, well, what's the sin that so easily ensnares us? I don't know. There's 170 people in this room. Uh, there's 170 different sins that so easily ensnare us because what the sin is in my life is not the sin in your life, most likely. Some of us, it's sins of the of the tongue, you know? We just can't shut up. Gossip. For some of us, it's, it's, it's what we look at on the computer. Some of us guys are, are just wrapped up in pornography. For some of us, it's, I can't control my spending. I got that piece of plastic, and I'm just going to go crazy. It's Christmas time, and I'm going to go into debt so that my kids can have the best toys. Uh, that's sin, if you don't have the money to pay for it. What's the sin that ensnares you? We all have those sins that Christ died to free us from that will come back into our lives if we stray from him. And when they come back, you know what typically happens? They come back stronger than ever. We often wonder, what happened to so-and-so? You know, when you come to church, hey, what happened to so-and-so? I used to see at church, and too often the sad truth is so-and-so fell from grace, meaning that they stopped trusting in the Lord's strength. They thought they were strong enough to handle whatever came at them and their old habits and old attitudes came right back to defeat them. Verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to them and he said to them, this prophet, we don't know his name, don't know who he was, doesn't matter. The Lord sent a prophet to them and he said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, quote, I brought you out of Egypt. And out of the place of slavery, I delivered you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am Yahweh, the Lord. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in, but, God says, you did not obey me. Now, that's different from what God's done up to this point so far in the Judges because in, the, in the, what we've seen so far in the book of Judges, when they cried out to Israel, God sent them who? A judge, a deliverer, a military conqueror, somebody to chase the bad guys out. This time God doesn't chase the bad guys out. This time God sends them a prophet to give them what? The word of the Lord. Why is that? Because obviously God says you did not obey me. Obviously these 40 years of peace have caused you to forget my word. You need to hear my word again. But he didn't just say, 
okay, bad guys, I'm going to send a good guy to chase the bad guys out. He didn't do that. He sent a prophet to give them the word of God. They're not crying out to God this time in repentance for their disobedience. They were crying out because of Midian. They weren't saying, we're sorry for our sin. They were saying, please, God, help us. And there's a difference, isn't there? They didn't see the oppression as God's discipline on them. And in those 40 years, they had forgotten what it meant to be God's people. Children born during those 40 years. Some of them are now adults with children of their own, had no faith of their own. Can I say that again? Children born to the people of God in those 40 years, and now there are children, now their children have children born during these 40 years. They have no faith. They don't know the word of God. They just went through the motions, doing what their parents did. That's why when, when, uh, when Maya was baptized this morning, before she was baptized, she had a talk with her mom, and her mom and, and she, she told her mom, I'm accepting Jesus as her Savior. And her mom said, great. I want you to talk to Bonnie. Bonnie's our director of our children's ministries. And Bonnie sat down with her and said, Maya, let's talk about that. To make sure that this wasn't just something Maya did because her mom did it and her grandparents did it. This was something she did because she was saying, Jesus is my Savior too. That wasn't happening in Israel. It wasn't. God wasn't their God. And the prophet came to tell him so. He sent a prophet. And, and other than Deborah, this prophet was the only prophet with a message for Israel in the book of Judges. And he pointed out to them their sin. He said, here's why you're in a mess. Here's why the Midianites are doing what they're doing. I'm allowing this to happen. It's not that God failed you. It wasn't it, Judge or Israel. It was not that God's failed you. It's not that he's sitting up on his rocking chair in heaven not paying attention. He knows exactly what's going on. God's done nothing but do wonderful things for you, brought you out of Egypt, chased the enemies out of the land. But you're where you are because you feared the gods of the pagan people in the land and you didn't obey the one true God. So now they hear the truth from the prophet, but they needed a leader. What do we do now? We've heard the word of God. They needed a leader, and God in his infinite sovereignty, which means God is in control, God literally shows up. I don't like the expression that I hear from a lot of Christian people these days. We like to use the term, and God showed up, because I want to say, when did he ever leave? He promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. So when we say God showed up, it's like he took a break. The psalm says, God, our God neither slumbers or sleeps. He doesn't take naps. He doesn't just show up one day. He showed up on the day of Pentecost in the presence of his Holy Spirit and has never left the church. Never. God literally here, however, shows up. And chooses the most unlikely of men to be the next hero for Israel. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite. Now that's the people that this next man we're introduced to belongs to. Gideon. His son Gideon, Joash, his son Gideon, was threshing wheat in the wine vat in order to hide it from the Midianites. It was harvest time. 
And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? The Red Sea and, and, and striking the rock and it turning to water and the manna from heaven and so forth and so on. The, the, where, where are all these wonders that we heard about in the olden days? Why aren't they happening now? And then they said, hasn't the Lord, they said, hasn't the Lord, our forefathers, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now, he says to this angel, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. And then notice the wording in verse 14. The Lord turned to him. Doesn't say the angel, does it? It says the Lord, and it's capital L, capital O, capital O-R, capital D, which in the Hebrew scriptures is Yahweh, his name. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not sending you? And Gideon said to him, please, Lord. He doesn't recognize him for who he is yet. Please, Lord, capital L, little O-R, D, meaning sir. Please, sir, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh in our tribe, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. I'm the run of the litter. What can I do? The reply comes back, but I will be with you. The Lord said to him, you will strike Midian down as if it were one man this swarm of locusts. Who is the angel of the Lord? Let me give you some theology this morning. I've got something for everybody today. For those of you who want to learn some theology, let me talk about the angel of the Lord. The word for angel, A-N-G-E-L, is both in the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek. It literally means messenger. Now, please stay with me because most of us, when we think of angel, what do we think of? Wings, white, real feminine-looking people, you know. That's not what the word, the word angel means messenger. We've been brainwashed to think angels always are winged beings, and we've been brainwashed to think that when we die, we become angels. No, we do not. They're created beings. You will never become an angel. Now, some might have winged wings on them. We, we read about them in Isaiah chapter 6. We read about them in the book of Revelation. Cherubim and seraphim. But most of the time when these heavenly messengers showed up to talk to men, you know who they look like? Men. Who is the angel of the Lord? Let me give you some bullet points real quickly. He is Christ before Bethlehem. Christ, he appeared as a man. He came down to earth. The theological term would be a pre-incarnate appearance. Incarnate meaning when he was born in Bethlehem. So before he was born, he appears to earth. Pre-incarnate appearance meaning the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the 
Son, second person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit is the third. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, coming to earth in human form. And he did this on several Old Testament occasions. This isn't the only time. To Hagar, he was the God who sees in Genesis 16, verse 13. Hagar, remember Hagar, the handmaiden of Sarah? He appeared to her. To Abraham, he identified himself in Genesis twenty-two sixteen as the Lord. Here's who I am. I am Yahweh, the Lord. To Jacob, he introduced himself as, quote, the God of Bethel. When Israel, Jacob, who became his name, became Israel, when he blessed his son Joseph, he used the names of God and the term the angel interchangeably, Genesis 48. At the burning bush, he was the Quote, angel of the Lord. Remember the story with Moses. And it says Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look upon who? God. In the pillar of cloud that led the nation, he's called in Exodus 14.9, the angel of God. Gideon feared here that he would die because he saw the angel of the Lord and he said, I've seen God. The angel of the Lord told Manoah, we'll see this later in the, in the book of Judges, that his name was, my name is Wonderful. And then we're getting up here to the Christmas story and we love to quote from Isaiah chapter 9. And Wonderful is one of the names of who? Christ. Wonderful counselor. When Jacob, you know the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel, Hosea tells us. He was wrestling with God. Now, Here's, here's where we're going to, I'm going to go a little bit deep with you. Only the second person of the Trinity can be visibly seen with our eyes. Can't see the Father. What did Jesus say in John 4? God is a spirit, and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit is a spirit, meaning he has, there's nothing about him you can see. He's invisible. Only the second person, only Christ, has ever had a visible body that can be seen. And so we know that as this, the angel of the Lord, who is Yahweh, who is God, comes to visit, he is called God throughout the Old Testament and can only be one person, and that's the Son of God. Remember the story of of Daniel, you mean the story about the, the fiery furnace and we threw three in there and there's a fourth one in there and he looks to me like the son of God because the son of God can be seen. The son appears in the New Testament as Jesus, as God incarnate. So when, you know, the angel comes in and visits Joseph and the angel comes and visits Gabriel, by the way, not the same angel that visited Gideon, you look and read the language, and it's not. In fact, we know his name was what? Gabriel. When he comes and visits and tells him, here's what's going to happen, Mary, you're going to have a baby. The ba child that is within you is the Son of God. We, talk, we call that birth in Bethlehem, the incarnation. Christmas, we'll be, we'll be celebrating that, won't we? And we will sing these words. Sometime you'll hear these words on the radio. You'll sing them, very familiar words, but the words go like this, veiled in flesh. Covered in flesh, the Godhead see, hail who? The incarnate deity is God. Pleased as man, 
He became a man, pleased as man, with men to dwell, Jesus our, which means God with us. After his birth in Bethlehem, Matthew on, there is no more mention of this angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. No more mention of the angel in the Lord in the, no, in, in the Old Testament. Why? Because God in flesh has come to be with us and he's been crucified on the cross and he's been buried and he's risen and he's ascended to heaven and he's coming back again and he will be visible. The Bible tells us every eye will see him. He will be visible, the second person of the Trinity. So he's different from the other angels as he appears here to Gideon in that he's not an angelic being. He is the son of God, dressed as a human, wearing human form, human flesh, to do this job. He's not an angelic being. And here's what that means. Here's what that means. God, that Jesus is eternal God. He is. And he always has been involved with his people, whether it's Israel in the past or the church today. He is, listen, with us. And he was with Gideon here on this occasion. So here's your, there's your theology lesson for the day. Now, back to Gideon real quickly. The Hebrew in verse 11 says that he was threshing grain, threshing wheat in the wine vat. And the word there for threshing means he was knocking the grain from the stalks with a stick, which is what poor people did. Wealthy people, when they gathered their grain, it would be threshed by oxen. He didn't have any oxen to thresh it with. He was knocking, holding the grain and beating it with a stick so that the grain fell to the floor. And he did it in a sunken cistern, a hole in the ground, dug for crushing grapes in order to produce wine. We have that picture, Jack. Did I give you a picture of that? Nope. It's a picture of, a, just, a, it's just imagine a round hole dug in a cistern, and that's where they would crush the grapes. Remember Lucy Arnaz? <laughs> Remember that story? That's what they had. And he's down in this grape wine pressing vat. There's no wine in there, no grapes. It's wheat season, and he's down in a hole, so he is below ground level. Why? Because he's doing what? Hiding from the Midianites. He's getting the grain for two reasons down in there, because he was poor and because he's hiding to keep them from stealing his grain. And the angel of the Lord appears to him as a traveler with a staff in his hand, and his words to Gideon seemed to make no sense. Gideon was neither. He said, hey, mighty warrior. Who is he talking to? Gideon was neither mighty or a warrior, but Gideon was told, the Lord is is with you. And the word you that he uses there is the, is the singular word for you. Let me say this in southern vernacular. He was not saying the Lord's with y'all. Not what he said. He said the Lord is with you, Gideon. With you. Gideon probably thought, you know, he's down in this hole in the ground threshing this grain and you know what he thought about this traveler who shows up and says hey mighty warrior Gideon's thinking man he's making fun of me because he knows why I'm down in here I'm scared that the Midianites are going to come if he was a brave warrior would he be hiding in a hole and 
This is not what Gideon was comfortable with hearing. So he changes his, the wording and he says, if the Lord, look what Gideon says, if the Lord is with us. Oh, that's not what I said. I said the Lord is with you. This calling is to you, mighty warrior. I didn't say if the, but don't we want to do that so often? If the Lord is with us, why isn't he doing things like he did with our ancestors when he brought us out of slavery? Where are the miracles? We're hiding. Hey, I don't know who you are, but have you noticed everybody's in caves and rocks and crevices? I'm down here in this pit. There are no mighty warriors around here. We're all scared. Seems to me, he says to this traveler, who he does not yet recognize, know who he is, Seems to me God's abandoned us. Real quickly, often God starts with one to change his people. The angel didn't appear to a crowd. He didn't appear to an army. He didn't appear at the tabernacle to deliver this message. He appeared to one. Listen to me. because we, we admitted it at the beginning. He appeared to one frightened and spiritually weak man in a hole in the ground. And his message to him was this. God sees you differently than you see yourself. God sees some potential in you that you have no idea is there. God's going to do something mighty in and through you. And you are clueless about it right now. Get in with somebody with a really, here's, let, me, let me use popular pop psychology. He had a really bad self-image. I'm, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh, and my family is the weakest family in the whole tribe, and I'm the runt. I'm the smallest. I'm the youngest in the whole family. I'm not the one that gets anything. His message to him is, hey, God sees you different than you see yourself. And Gideon had this list of excuses why he wasn't what the Lord was saying he was. But God had chosen him to do something mighty and great and promised him a couple of things. Real quickly, he promised him this. He promised him you have already have strength that you're not aware of. Why not? Gideon was like the rest of Israel. Gideon's wandered from God. Who he is as one of God's people has been lost in his mind. He doesn't remember, doesn't know it. As Christians, the strength of God and his spirit resides in every single one of us. And the power of what happened, as I said earlier, on the day of Pentecost has been given to us. But if we are not today, Sunday, November 20th, 2016, if we are not living spiritually strong lives, it's because of one reason, because we've neglected him. Secondly, he said, and God's sending you. God is sending you. You won't be going on your own authority. You're going because I've given you these orders. When we go as Jesus told us to go, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, when we go as he told us to go, all of us, into the world to make disciples, it's not something we came up with on our own. He sent us, and we have his authority and power behind us. And then number three, the Lord would be with him. I promise you this, Gideon. I'm going to be with you. The Lord's with you. You're not abandoned, and you won't be deserted in what's ahead. Twice, God said, I will be with you. Would you bow with me in prayer?
There is in this room, Father, a lot of Gideons. And sometimes we run and we hide and we, we do not do what you've asked us to do. We don't see ourselves for who we're supposed to be seeing ourselves. We call ourselves weak when you call us strong. You, we call ourselves, we, we, we say, we're, I'm too afraid. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. Help us not to base what we might be able to do for you on our own self-image, but on the image of Christ. And we thank you for our Emmanuel, God with us. This very moment, help us to do what you call us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Let me close with three guarantees from God that we can learn from this story thus far. Number one, guarantees. Uh, he will discipline us when we abandon him. If you belong to him, you just can't go your own way without making, without him working in your heart to bring you back. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 say, My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint, when you are reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Listen to me. That's part, we love to sing this song. That's part of him being our good, good father. He doesn't just let us go our own way. He loves us too much not to work to bring us back and teach us the lessons we need to learn. Number two, we lose when we go the wrong direction, another direction. And one potential that every believer has is the opportunity to be rewarded in heaven for how we used this salvation that we've been given. But if our lives as Christians, hear me, if our lives as Christians are wasted on serving ourselves, on wasted in gaining what pleases us, and they're not given over to serving him, or if we turn away from him, we risk when we stand before Jesus one day at the judgment seat of Christ, and if you're a believer, you will stand there, we risk losing or having no rewards. We'll be saved? Absolutely. Our salvation is based on one thing, his promise that if I believe in him, I'll have everlasting life. But if we have nothing to eternally to show for our lives that we lived instead of being honored in his kingdom, what the Bible tends to tell us is that we will in his kingdom be spectators. Watching, not participating in that thousand-year reign of Christ. Paul told Timothy, if we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we... If we deny him, meaning in this life, we deny him, he will also deny us, meaning the rewards. But, again, the salvation part, if we are faithless, that word means we do not believe. What is, what, what's God's promise? He remains faithful. Why? He cannot deny himself. He made you and me a promise but we lose when we go in another direction. And then number three, 
He will never abandon us. No matter how far we stray, he is always with us. Now, that in no way means he approves or loves what we might be doing in our lives. He did not like what Israel was doing when it says they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He didn't love it. So what did he do? He sent the Midianites to discipline them. He doesn't love what we might be doing. Listen, please get this. This, Here's a big difference. He may not love what we might be doing, but he loves us unconditionally. He will never stop loving you. If you're his child, you might be here today having wandered away and gotten into things that have turned your spiritual eyes off of him. And you might be wondering, this might be the thought in your mind, I wonder if God still loves me. I wonder if God still wants me. And you know what the answer is over and over and over and over and over again in God's word? The answer is yes. I do still love you. I do still want you. I do still want to do mighty things in your life if you'll allow me. God has us here, church, to be agents of change in a culture and in a world that doesn't recognize him and doesn't recognize his word. And to think of what that might require of you and of me, frankly, is a bit frightening. And we're going to see that in Gideon's story when God says, and here's what you're going to do. But we're going to have, and we have as he is going to have, orders backed by God Almighty's authority. We have his promise. He will always be with us, and we are indwelt with his power. Would you bow with me in prayer? Let's stand together. Our pastors are going to be up here at the front, and maybe you need to talk to somebody about what you've heard, about what you've seen this morning, whether it's I've, been, I've become a Christian, but I've never been baptized. I, I, I need to take care of that. Whether it's I, I'm, I'm down in the pit hiding from the enemy. Whether it's I'm, things in my life are happening right now, and, and I need the prophet, I need the word of God to come and point these things out to me. I know what they are, and I want to turn back to the Lord. Whatever your need might be, you might be here and say, I, I, I need to become part of this church. They're going to be here um, in just a moment and when I pray, and, and I want you to come and, and meet with them as they, as they show up here. Let me also say to you, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, December 4th, two weeks from today, I'll be teaching our Discovering Life class that talks about how you can become involved in the Egghead Church. So be sure you let us know if you want to be part of that. Next week, we continue with Gideon. Because you know what we're going to find out next week about Gideon. Maybe like you, maybe like some of us in this room, even though Gideon has had this conversation with the Lord, he's not yet convinced. Not yet. Father, take your word and work it into our hearts. If this morning we needed to hear the voice of the prophet, may we hear it. If this morning we needed to hear the voice of the Lord saying, I am with you, mighty warrior, may we hear it. And may we be willing to respond as you would have us. Give us a great week, a great time of giving thanks this weekend. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.